0: following podcast is sponsored by the hood college bookstore most of us think of the bookstore
1: as just a place to buy or rent books well i'm here to tell you that's not the case the hood college bookstore is a great place to buy all kinds of things need some hood branded merch
0: you'll find hoodies and t-shirts hats and scarves sweats and socks mugs and cups
1: they even have hood branded blankets
0: low on shampoo or
1: soap they have you covered
0: Bad breath before class? Buy some gum or Tic Tacs. Need a pen,
1: highlighter, or notebook? The bookstore has tons. Does your roommate have a dog? Buy them a Hood College leash or collar.
0: Need some Advil or Tums? The bookstore has your back.
1: Need a last minute birthday gift for your best friend? You'll find plenty of options.
0: What I'm saying is the Hood College bookstore has you covered for all your gift, school, snack, and clothing needs.
1: Oh, and did I mention they also have gift cards? Lots and lots of gift cards. So the next time you're in WIT, stop in and browse around.
0: Mention my name, Tim Jacobson, and the name of this podcast, Get to Know a Blazer. And receive 10% off your purchase. Everything that is except books. But listen to the show first. and welcome to another episode of Get to Know a Blazer an in-depth yet light-hearted interview podcast that focuses on the many interesting and wonderful people that inhabit our Hood College campus I'm your host Tim Jacobson for those of you who don't know me and I'm assuming there are many I am the coordinator for Hood College Broadcasting Studios and I'm an instructor of Multimedia Communication. Last week I interviewed Catherine Orloff, Associate Professor of Journalism, Director of Hood College's Communication Arts Program and Co-Director of the Integrated Marketing Communications major. It was extremely interesting uh, to hear about Catherine's time working in the movie industry Working as a journalist and uh, her pathway here to Hood. On this week's show, I'm interviewing another longtime Hood professor who has an equally interesting past life. This individual is someone that I have admired for a long time. Um, I admire their teaching style, I admire their philosophy towards other people and also towards life. And I figured it was about time that I get to know them a little better. Please welcome to the show.
1: My full name is Martha Ann Barry, and my full position is Assistant Professor of Art History in the Art and Archaeology Department at Hood College.
0: And what will your title be in three weeks?
1: It's supposed to be a surprise, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but you
0: do have big news. Do I? What? <laughs> I don't know. I I was at some
1: party in Tatum. Do people not know? Oh, then I'm retiring. Yeah. Uh, oh well, I'm not sure. Um, but yes, I'm retiring, and today is my last day of teaching, and then this will be my last. Yay. Uh, my last finals week next week. Are you a little bit like, you know, melancholy about it? Um, it, it, go, it comes and it goes. Yeah. Um, I am not going to miss grading. I'm not going to miss any kind of, I don't know, any kind of administrative work, and i am just leave that there. But um, No,
0: that's where it should be left. Yeah, I, yeah we have to stay I know. neutral on that. I want to start with like way back. Okay. Because the whole point of doing this Get to Know a Blazer is we all spend a lot of time together and we really know nothing about each other. So where did did you grow up?
1: I grew up in Catonsville, Maryland until I was 12. And then we moved to Silver Spring. And I now live maybe five minutes away from where I grew up. Wow. I know. So I, you're a I full-time,
0: long Maryland native.
1: Yes, I am. Yes, and very proud of Maryland.
0: I love Maryland. I'm a transplant. I didn't move here until '89, but I can. have lived here longer than anywhere else.
1: My husband too. He's from New England, and you know he cheers for the Orioles and whatever. Um, oh, I guess whoever makes it to you know the. The playoffs and beyond he'll cheer for. Him. <laughs> but okay. That's you know good. but he loves he loves our sports teams. So And do you have brothers and sisters? I do. I have one sister alive and one sister unfortunately who died. Oh I'm sorry. Thank you. Um, my oldest sister um, is still alive. Okay. And her name is Gina. And then my sister who died is named Judy.
0: Okay. And you told me something a little bit that they're Maybe famous in some way? Yeah, they are famous. Tell me about this.
1: Okay, so my sister Gina is a science reporter for the New York Times, and her name is Gina Collada, and so people might know that name.
0: If they read the New York Times in the science section, (laughs) I'm sure they would. That's a really cool job.
1: Yeah. How long has she been at the Times? Wow. Let's see. (laughs) Okay. Uh, probably, I, I think 40 years. Holy cow. Yeah, and she's never gonna retire, she wow. told me. So. Is she
0: older or younger than you? She's, she's older. older. She's older, yeah. Now, was that like her first job out of college?
1: No, um, but actually, she went to graduate school, she went to MIT, Okay. Um, and then she realized in graduate school that she did not like lab. The lab. So <laughs> it's a good time to find out that <laughs> she was as a scientist. in microbiology, and she said, you know wow. what? So anyway, so she came back, and she came back home to Silver Spring, and she enrolled in the math department at University of Maryland, and she got a quick master's degree in um, mathematics. And then she always wanted to be a journalist, and she wanted to be a journalist in science. So she applied to Science Magazine, they basically said we don't have anything for you but we will let you be um, the person who manages the referees who are the people who call up scientists in science magazine call up scientists and ask them to review uh, articles that are being submitted and should they publish them or not
0: so she was that kind of go-between
1: yes and so she gatekeeper so to speak but she you cannot stop her you literally cannot stop her if she wants something that's good so she said to them i can write i can write i can write and they said okay just write us one article so she wrote an article about math and it was really good and started to get letters to the editor about it and she said i could write something else and she just kept at it and then they started to make her half-time a writer and half-time a referee selector and then finally she was putting out so much more than the full-time people they said you need to become a, right. a full-time writer so that's from there the new york times recruited her well good for her yeah man that,
0: yeah i talk to my students a lot my my photo students and i you know we talk a lot about what attributes make a good photographer uh-huh. and patience and persistence. Yeah. Not just photography, but for anything, you know, you have to wait yes. for the right time, but you also have to be persistent and not yes. be willing to just give up and go Oh, It's not going to work.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and not to be shy, because if you're shy oh, and you're a photographer, <laughs> oh no.
0: Yes, a lot of them have a, a hard time kind of breaking that. We, I call it the nine-foot circle. Oh, they, that's They a good just name. can't. I'm like, yeah, but you have to. You know, so we do yeah. exercises that really, force them to so do that. Get oh, that's so great.
1: Oh, that's so good. Yeah. You really gave them a gift.
0: We try. I try to so you grew up in catonsville with mm-hmm. the silver spring
1: mm-hmm.
0: what was what was like a typical family like what did your parents do
1: so it's a really unusual marriage my mother was a professor of mathematics at gw and my father was a diamond setter and so father was
0: a diamond, diamond setter, setter.
1: yes he had a very colorful wow. circle around him um and he was a diamond setter he was a master craftsman and um and so you would think that this you know highly educated he he dropped out of college okay. he was f- brilliant but um you know but he didn't have the education my mother had but that was the most beautiful marriage i've ever seen and it really helped me as a model i got married late i got married at 40 because although i dated a lot and i still am in touch with some of my you know People who I dated, but I knew it wasn't right. Even when oh. somebody I, I got you know, so I got two proposals, but um, I just I couldn't because I knew what a good marriage looked like. And now Mike and I have been married for 40, uh, 30 years. It seems like forty, <laughs> thirty. <laughs> well, years. it'll be
0: forty soon. Yeah. Well, good for you. Congratulations yeah. on that. Um. So typical kind of family like what would you guys go to you know uh Orioles games would you guys go on vacations would you go to national parks what was what was the childhood like for you like growing up like say you're like 12 13 years Mm -hmm. old Mm
1: -hmm. so one of the things in growing up um we didn't have a lot of money at first my mother was getting her PhD and after she got her PhD um we moved to silver spring and we had a sort of a different existence but my entire childhood every weekend we'd either go to the mountains or the beach and we
0: you can do that in maryland which is great yeah
1: so and then we we would pick wild blueberries <sighs> on the on the trail and you know i remember a black snake was Across the trail once, and I was terrified, and I had to step over it. But um, that was wonderful. And then otherwise, we went always went to Bethany Beach and okay. got sunburned and whatever. As everybody did back but, then, because you know, my yeah. parents made it always a day trip, and they may may have gotten back really late at night. And then of course. The ride up and the ride back was constant fighting <laughs> like the girls.
0: Well, three of you in the back seat probably.
1: Well, I always had to sit in the front because they if I sat in the back, they I would get killed. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they, they I don't know. Siblings uh, are
0: like that, I yeah. think. Yeah. And um, where did you go? Like, well, well, first, what kind of student were you? Were you a good student? Were you, you know, was it... Was was that your goal or were you just kind of, you know, student in a school?
1: So here's what happened. I was, I went to, in Catonsville, I was, they had a track system and I was in what was called accelerated. Okay. When we moved to Montgomery County, they put me in classes where sometimes people couldn't even read. And it was really, sometimes really bad. And my mother, who never interfered because she was, from an immigrant family, and you just didn't tell anybody what to do in, in, you know, education. Um, But anyway, she finally had to intervene at one point. But I was in these low classes, and I just lost all motivation. I didn't care. And so I was middling student all through high school. But at the same time, I had this secret life. I read voraciously. I can't tell you how much I read. And I remember writing a paper on Edward Albee <laughs> and and my teacher um, telling me that I couldn't write about it because it was too advanced. Oh, God. You know, so it was. I was getting <laughs> these mixed signals. I went to college.
0: Where'd you go to college at?
1: Um, GW. Okay, you went to yeah. GW. So I went to GW, and my mother taught there. So I got free tuition, and room and board cost the same as university tuition room and board, um, University of Maryland. Wow. And so those were my two choices because that's what they could afford. And they paid for me, which I think is wonderful. Yeah. You know, that's, I I see that as a privilege. Um, but anyway, so I went to University of Maryland and the first semester, my parents were strict. And so the first you semester- You lived on campus? Yes, okay. I lived on campus. And there was nobody to tell me <laughs> what to do. And so I did anything I wanted.
0: So you, yeah, you got out of the house and you were like, I'm i I can do
1: anything. I went to, I cut class all the time. I would go to the movies. I would convince all my girlfriends to cut class with me. And then midterms came. Uh-oh. And I got these grades back and I was in shock. So I spent the rest of the semester working my, you know what, off mm-hmm. to get C's because I had F's you know and i i got everything up to a c or a B. but then after that i Buckled i down. took it yeah and i i graduated with honors so yeah. i could just
0: i can imagine like you know a freshman martha berry skipping class <sighs> so and everybody's great. like where's martha like yeah, she's reading a book
1: <laughs> <laughs> no because like
0: martha's not doing anything crazy <laughs> you know she wasn't up you know, she was up late last night reading a book
1: <laughs> no well the thing is is that i I, that was in, like a crazy part. You know, I came into GW in 1969, which was at the height of the anti-war movement. I was going to say that was 70s. right in the middle of and, the Vietnam War, and GW was right in the middle, right, right next to the White House. And so we would always get people from all over the country sleeping on our dorm wow. floors, and. So it was active in the um, anti-war movement, and so there was just a lot to do, and you know. Well, the, <laughs> and I think at that time
0: you were probably learning so much about civics and about involvement and about your First Amendment rights to protest. Well, I never did exp- it like that. Well, exactly. no, you, I'm sure you didn't.
1: Yeah, but I uh, but I learned a lot, and I I really did learn a lot, and. What was amazing was that we had an impact and the press kind of, but the government completely pretended like we didn't mean anything. But we found out later, we found out for example that Nixon was, couldn't stand it because he could hear us. yeah, And other things as well that showed us that we had an impact, so that was great.
0: And I think given our culture right now, I think a lot of people are feeling helpless yeah I had yes. a big conversation with my daughter on Tuesday when she came home and she's like I'm scared I don't blame her. I don't know what to do yeah I feel like nothing I can do is going to matter yeah and she feels helpless and I said no I said you know you can't have a defeatist attitude for right. something that is so important
1: absolutely um
0: that you know whether it 's getting people to vote, whether it 's working a campaign, whether it 's going down and protesting, contributing to a campaign, it, it has to matter it can 't not matter
1: yep well that 's exactly right and um, and that brings me to my second sister, my, my okay. middle sister, um, Judy. Judy was um, an environmental activist okay and she was in Earth first, which is a movement. I think I've heard of Earth. Yeah. yeah. So she was a feminist environmentalist. And the reason she got into it was she was living in um, Santa Rosa with her husband. And uh, she always was good with her hands. And so she apprenticed to be a carpenter. And so she was making yurts. And, you know, these wow. circular... And she w- she looked down at the wood, and it was grainless. And she said, what is this wood? And they said, oh, you know, the old-growth redwood trees. Oh, no. That's what this is. Uh. And she said, and she was very radical, and she said she couldn't believe that she was building yurts for these, you know, bougie, quote-unquote, people. Right. It was a travesty, and so she got involved and Earth first was very very um the whole thing was organized and and you know enacted by men okay. or males and My sister had a background in organizing for unions, and she came in there like a like a tornado, and she was very, very smart and very, very good with speeches like she could make you. I don't know, take off all your clothes and and jump into the pool yeah because she was so persuasive, so she began to work and she was she could do all the behind the scenes work, get mailing you know mailing kind of organized whole thing she was totally, and she began to bring workers into this anti loggers right um, well these people were actually in the factories cutting up the redwood trees but they had were being treated horribly and they had horrible hours they were it was really inhumane and so she said you can't have a movement that's only you know a certain age group this had this is something that's affecting this entire Mendocino County community And the thing is, is that they were clear-cutting, which means that they weren't even just cutting big redwoods. They got down to the minutiae. They had a special kind of machine that would grab like saplings and rip them up off the ground. So everything went, and when they were finished, it looked like, Mars. It was really scary and it has affected the climate. So my sister fought to preserve a a really important grove of redwoods and the problem was is that all these redwoods were owned by uh, logging companies but Mm -hmm. they in the olden days when they first bought them they were um, very ecologically minded as well and they only cut enough to you know, sustain. They right. didn't cut more, but then they were taken over in the nineteen eighties um, by these conglomerates, you know, in takeovers, and these people wanted to clear cut everything and then move out. And so, because yeah,
0: it, they didn't care.
1: Yeah, they didn't care. Make at the all. money now. It was just a, it. a line item on the paper. Yeah. And so, my sister. Was very effective, and she got the Native American community involved, the loggers, the students, and then she came up with an idea of having something called a Redwood Summer, where she she just like you know um, civil rights movement, she would recruit students um, to come up and try to stop the loggers who were scheduled to clear cut this this one area. And so she was driving back from, um, I guess she was she was talking to people in Berkeley, and she had stayed overnight, and then she was in the car with a person who she was working with and organizing and or whatever. And uh, she came to a traffic light, and she slammed on the brakes, and a palm that was Underneath the seat of her car exploded. A bomb? A bomb. Oh, my God. It was horrible. And she had been getting death threats. And when she went to the sheriff and the police up in Mendocino County, they basically said, and Fort Bragg up there, they were actually saying to get Judy Berry and so the right wing was like had a cross well literally she had one threat where there were crosshairs across her face and the police said you know unless you turn up dead we 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 can't do anything that's horrible yeah so she had no protection or anything but she was she was invincible she thought and so when this happened it was horrible, and she almost died. Her pelvis area was oh. totally gone, and yeah, she. I would think. She, um, they said she'd never walk again, but you can't keep her down. So you couldn't keep her down, so she, she could walk with a cane, but um, the rest of her life, she was trying to clear her name because there was a big campaign immediately after she was bombed. The information that was given to the newspaper and it turned out by the fbi was that judy berry bombed herself oh god so she brought suit against the government which is really hard and most people don't win but they actually won for a libel suit and did they
0: ever find out who the perpetrators were
1: no because nobody would look and they took her car And um, which was evidence, which was primary evidence. And they parked it in an outside sort of police enclosed space for, you know, like, I don't know, like uh, towed cars or things like that. Like an impound lot. And so it basically degraded everything. But you could tell that it wasn't her. It was underneath her seat. Who would be that insane? And um, they said, well, I'm sure they
0: intended to kill her. I'm oh, sure definitely. that wasn't intended to just be like, you know, here's a little bomb under your seat and, you know, right. we're going to scare you.
1: Well, there's all this. I That's mean, not
0: how they do those kind of things.
1: The the evidence and what, what where things were leading uh, is really interesting, but it's not, it hasn't been solved. And so, um, but there was, believe it or not, and, and I'm not exaggerating because if it, it didn't happen to my family, I would say, oh, B.S. I, I don't believe this. this. This sounds like some wild story. Yeah. But the FBI was, actually had a bomb building um, kind of seminar for the logging, like people in the, who were in the logging industry, um, the high ups, you know. And and so why were they teaching them how to build bombs? So it it's just weird. It's a Everything little is so yeah. Weird. I think
0: there's a lot of. Suspect things, yeah. In that, what? Yeah, so this was the eighties, right?
1: Yeah, uh, no. This when she got bombed, it was nineteen ninety one. So it was still yeah. late. So she, yeah. um, so she, unfortunately, got breast cancer, and it was the most virulent kind, and it raced through her body, and she was gone in three months. Wow. So, um, so sorry. Such a thank you so this really dedicated group of people um worked for years and um and Dennis Cunningham was the lawyer who was uh you know who who won some really important cases and they won they won and so that vindicated her so it really made a huge difference um you know just for us to know that 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 she, it wasn't in vain, everything that she was trying to do to clear her name. Well, that's good. Yeah. So that's, that's. uh... There's, yeah, there's (laughs) always,
0: hopefully there's a positive. All right. So college, you got yourself figured out after half a semester. Um, (laughs) Graduated. What was, what was your degree?
1: Art Art history. Art
0: history. Now, how did you come to appreciate art history? Where did that passion come from?
1: I think that I was born with it. When I was so little that I had to, my mother had to put me in her lap and turn the pages. I constantly wanted to see this one, they only owned one art history book, and it was like a survey book, and I wanted to see it again and again and again. And so that shows you how early I fell in love with it. When I was in junior high, my mother would drop me <laughs> off at the National Art Gallery and pick me up when it closed. I just would by myself. Oh, I, I just would loved yeah, it. I
0: mean, with being that close, you were, you know, you could almost ride your bike back then. <laughs> you <laughs> I probably wouldn't want to, but
1: you know, <laughs> I you don't could. know. It's a little bit far Silver yeah. Spring for me at least. But um but yeah, it was very close and um things were not as elaborate and formed down at the mall as it is today. The National Gallery was only one building, but they had the most amazing art, and they still do. Some of the best yeah. in the world.
0: I would think so. so. Um, what period of art is the best?
1: Ah, uh, now this is I'm not put a you fair on the question. Spot.
0: This is, I know it's not a fair question.
1: Well, this is my problem, is that when I wanted to go to graduate school, I couldn't figure out what I what i wanted to specialize in because i love every single period and i still do and i have widened that now to asian art as well okay so i i really love history and i really love looking at art in a context and so it doesn't really matter what i'm looking at but i did my phd in 20th century art okay yeah
0: is graffiti art yes good
1: <laughs> I agree. <laughs>
0: All right. So you graduated from GW yes. in like 70, 72, 73? 73. 73. Yeah. What happened after that?
1: Okay. So. Because you
0: didn't come straight here after. No.
1: No. There, this is a circuitous route. So what yeah. happened you is. Give the that long,
0: the long route.
1: I um, wanted to go to graduate school, so I enrolled in GW, and it wasn't really what I wanted, hmm. and I had this really romantic idea about England, and I thought it was going to be the Bloomsbury Circle, which had like Virginia Woolf and Vanessa Bell and, and you know, uh, just this group of intellectuals who would, you know, live together and, and met and have these wonderful conversations about art and poetry and whatever so and then I also mixed that with this show that came over that was an import from Great Britain which was called Upstairs Downstairs which I
0: I do remember that
1: yeah so I mixed those two together and that's what I thought was you had that
0: vision in your head
1: so I happened to be in London because um my Father won a lottery ticket (laughs) and so we went to London and I had to show them the art because they they just, they were in science and whatever. Anyway, and I just out of, honestly, it was like a lark. I said, I wonder if I can apply to University of London. So I went in cold calling.
0: Was this while you were on vacation? Yes.
1: And I went in and I got an interview with the head of the department, and he said I could come for a master's degree. So I went home, and that summer I prepared, and then I came over in the fall. So seven, 1974, and um, and it turned out it was worse than... <laughs> <laughs> because it was my romantic idea. Mm-hmm. Wh- every th- what was the concentration then? And that's not what art history is like now. But it was like, not just what is this painting but what was the exact time to the minute and date that this painting was done and how do we know by connoisseurship so this pinky looks like this pinky and i'm like no i want context i want to know what it means within the bigger picture i want to know how it expressed the world at that time so i yeah like what
0: were they what were they drawing was yeah, it watching. social stuff? Was it back You know, right. What were people's is subject to? this? Is this all about?
1: Are you talking to the rich and you're showing them what they want? Yeah. Are you criticizing them? Is this part of the French Revolution? You know, what are we looking at? And so
0: I think that's the fascinating part. Yeah, art, that's why I was trying to figure out what people were trying to say. Yes. Or express themselves. And
1: that's what I teach. So, um, so I dropped out. And I dropped out right before the semester ended, and I just dropped out, and I had something that I didn't know the name of, and I found out later that it's called culture shock. And I had, just because I cold called, and then I just moved to London, um, usually people who come from the United States or other countries they they come in a group and they have sponsors who sort of tell them the customs and what to expect and and kind of have the safe house for a while i right. had none of that and i just you kind them. of
0: just dropped yourself in
1: yes and i didn't understand the society mm. i couldn't even understand what they were saying sometimes like they were talking about Micklemas, and i'm like what the heck I don't know what that is. And it was like the winter term, you know. And there was a guy with such a heavy um, English accent for one of my classes that he told us to turn to a page in a book, and I didn't understand what he was saying. So, you know, it was bad.
0: Yeah, that's (laughs) got to be kind of hard to stay motivated when you're like, I have no idea what the heck this guy what this bloke is saying.
1: (laughs) So I left, and I came back, and wow, now I have to find a job. So I spent my 20s basically being a secretary. And that was a period of horrible inflation and the end of the Vietnam War. And graduates my age couldn't find jobs. And you could meet engineers who were basically driving cabs because that's all they could find. So it was not a good time to get a job. And so... um, Ugh, do you want to hear this whole story? Just a little I'm bit. Boring
0: myself. No, this is this is what I want to hear. <laughs> okay. I think this is the stuff that makes everything that you do now relevant. Okay. All these life experiences, mm-hmm. you know, is what makes what we're doing now worthwhile.
1: Well, okay. So well, you,
0: so you're you're not driving a cab. No, you're...
1: but I am. I my first sort of steady job was at GW in admissions. And that was processing paper, which I hated. And uh, the the supervisor came to me after I was hired. I was hired when she was on vacation. She said, if I were here, you would never have been hired, Martha. And I said, why? I was so insulted. And she said, because you have a bachelor's degree and you're going to leave. And sure enough, it was such a miserable Mm. job. And I left and I went to Science Magazine and nepotism no not really <laughs> I I really got in through was your sister friend. still there at that time yes she okay. was she was but she wasn't
0: <laughs> different department yeah, but probably. I
1: yeah so I worked in the editorial department and then from there I went to resources for the future which is a nonprofit profit um, environmental think tank it was okay. started um, by the Ford Foundation and then you know after a while they they set set this place free but it's It's very famous within its economic field. And I worked there for quite a while as a secretary. Well, not quite a while, but anyway, a while. And they plucked me out and they said, you know, we think that you would be really good in publications. So they dropped Mm. me into publications. They paid for my education and I learned how to be a production manager. And so...
0: (laughs) That, I don't see that. I I don't know why. Really?
1: Yeah. Did you like doing that? I, it was, I'll tell you what happened, is that I would have stayed there forever, but it was nonprofit and they paid no money. And also, I was working 24-7 because they wouldn't hire anybody. And they just said, no, you have to. And because I was was, uh, promoted from within, I found out that my secretary was making the same salary as me. So finally, I had to have some, some root canals, and they are a fortune. And yes. so I knew I needed to have some more money, and I went to my boss. And I said, you know, I, I'm going to have to leave if, I, if you can't raise my salary. And he said, okay. And I said, well, wait, I've been here for 10 years. And he said, well, he said, you know, we can replace you. And I said, that's fine. And so I left, and I had a huge goodbye party because i had been there for 10 years years. and then they had to replace me with two people (laughs) so anyway yeah times time
0: you know (laughs) things kind of stay the same don't they yeah so so many years later
1: yeah so i i took a job selling typesetting services and um now you should say, "I can't imagine you doing this." This is yeah. That, I know. failed miserably at this job. Yeah,
0: I can't see you being a salesman. Oh or my god! I
1: couldn't close a deal. Everyone loved me. Why aren't you coming and visiting us in the office? And my boss would say, "Why aren't you taking them out to lunch?" But it was so boring to hear them drone on about mm-hmm. their golf games. But they would never buy for me, and I didn't know how to close a deal. And finally, I was so miserable, and I was at a bar with my friend, and I just I wanted to tell him about the Italian Renaissance, and he really didn't want to hear about it because we were listening to jazz, and it was really great, but somehow. And then I thought to myself, you know, you're so miserable. What would you do if there, you know, just don't think about barriers. What do you want to be? Okay. I said a college professor. So, I said, "Okay, I'll do it." So, I moved back in with my ancient parents <laughs> at in Silver Spring, and I started to go to the University of Maryland um Art History Department. And they gave me, I'm so happy, but you know, they funded me, and eventually I met my husband and well, actually Not that far in. I met my husband and at school at Maryland. um, At the university, no, it was a blind date. Okay. Oh, it turns out that art historians and physicists make the best combination. (laughs) And so we had friends who were um, the guy was a physicist and Mm -hmm. and the other was uh, art historian, and they they hooked us up. And so we were so compatible. That we were engaged in five dates.
0: (laughs) You're kidding me. Was that uh,
1: what? That was my. That was a little bit scary. Did you or were you just
0: like this? Is you had that kind of tickle in the back of your mind that like this is right? I I have to tell you,
1: I was 40 years old. I had dated constantly a lot, and or 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 had been in relationships. Okay. You know, nonstop. And I knew what I wanted and what would be right for me. But Mike had just gotten out of a marriage. And I was the first person he was dating. So Uh after he proposed to me, I called him up and I said, you know, I said, do you want to rethink that? I said, you know, you haven't really been out there and maybe you want to. And he said, what's wrong? Don't you love me? And I said, no. And he said okay well let's what's the problem i said nothing there you go (laughs) so just making sure yeah so i moved into his house and got married like that and so that's the house that's like five minutes away from my old house (laughs) so after that um, and how did you get to hood how did hood come That's come into it yes so in 1997 um,
0: did you work did you work at any of the colleges before you came to
1: Hood? Yes, I was at an a little art school. I was at I was a graduate student and I was t, a TA, but I did take this little job at it's called Maryland College of Art okay. and Design and it didn't have any accreditation. And um I I did I taught there for one semester. And then um, Ann Durbis, who I don't know if you remember her, but she was (laughs) in our department. She was a medievalist. And she got in touch with me. She heard about me through University of Maryland. And she said, would you like to teach at Hood? We have an adjunct position open. I said, yes. That's how I I started. And I, um, 2004, I became part-time. Okay, And then... I became full time because I was ahead of first year programs. I got you know promoted from within for that, and then I went out of that, and then I was part-time again just very recently. and I was offered full time again. I said yes, and then COVID came, and they couldn't do it. So I'm leaving uh-huh. part-time assistant professor, but it's fine. I had a great run. I cannot tell you. How wonderful it's been to teach my students. They're outstanding. Yeah. yeah.
0: And that's, I think, we had a brief conversation last week, and I asked you what you were going to miss, and you said, my students. And I think a, a professor, any, anybody in teaching, you go into it because you want to inspire yep. students. Yep. And you put up with all the other BS. And I think we do. You know, I don't think there's any tiptoeing around that. There's a lot of other stuff, whether it's grading, administration, all the other stuff. But when you have students who get it and you see them lean forward in their chair or they want to talk to you after class about something and you're like, this is why I do it.
1: Yeah. I, and I you mean, have to. Absolutely. I mean, that's if
0: if your motivation is something other than that. Yeah. Um, you're in it for the wrong reasons. I,
1: absolutely. And uh, I do know that some people wandered into graduate school because they, they couldn't get a job and they, they, they didn't know what to do and they had an undergraduate art history degree, but they, they didn't last. Yeah, You really had to have a different kind of motivation, either wanting to do research or for me, although I like research, that's not my, I am a teacher. And I've also been like that my whole life, so yeah, so it was really that's it, man,
0: so what's the first thing you're gonna do after you're done, like putting <laughs> in submit final
1: I am let's see what am I gonna do um I don't know, I mean, I mean, for the rest of the i I'm definitely gonna clean out my <laughs> office. that's the next thing I'm gonna do after. Pressing submit. Yeah. So that will be in the latter part of the month, but that can't take that long. I mean, I really don't have that much stuff here. And then um, in June, I'm going to go to uh, San Francisco uh, for about six days. And then I also have been a docent at the Freer and Sackler for over thirty years, and wow. so that's volunteer. And so I will be continuing that and really diving in.
0: My second favorite museum down at Smithsonian. I do. What's like. your first? I like the uh, Hirshhorn. The Hirshhorn. Yeah. I do like the Hirshhorn. Oh. Uh. Uh it's just different kind of art you know no, it's no. two completely different
1: i love all art no i yeah of course oh, no, i don't i'm not understand. yeah it's just you know yeah. that's yeah but i
0: like the freer cycler but i i, I just mean, like well. the atmosphere there and going down and it's nice and yeah it's yeah wonderful.
1: and um I, when i joined it was just the freer and it was this pokey little museum even taxi drivers didn't know where it was. Oh gosh! If you jumped it's in, it's right
0: outside the castle. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like That's, it's right there.
1: But it looked just like the Department of Agriculture in a way. Same, you know, kind of mm-hmm. architecture, and they just nobody knew it. And uh, so when I discovered it myself, I was so excited. I was a freshman, and I went into the Peacock Room, and I uh, my mouth dropped open. But I was this goofy freshman, so then I walked out. I walked from GW, mm-hmm. walked back, and then I could never find it again. Oh gosh! So it took me a really long time to figure out that there was this Asian Art Museum, and yeah. I had always loved Asian art. So there, they, they advertised for docents, and I was in the first class. So I've been there forever.
0: Well, now I know where to find you. Yeah, I'm gonna go in on yeah, and I'm just, absolutely. Martha.
1: I'm on Saturdays. Okay. So if you ever want to go. Yeah. And that's really what led me to wanna teach because I could see in an hour, I could see bored, restless people. I picked up at the at the lobby and an hour later later they were enthusiastic and excited. And in some cases I literally, I think, saw the light bulb yeah. get turned on. And I thought, if I can do this in an hour, what would happen in a semester? So I really—that's a really to. good
0: way of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah, and I yeah. think you—I don't think you cannot not appreciate art if you spend the. Oh, li- you know what I, have I mean? Some
1: people you should meet, some students uh, you should yeah. meet. <laughs> but I
0: think if you spend a little time with it, and, you know, and know the history and you know what people were trying to say, and you know the art that we're doing now. And
1: well, we ended today with. Um, with "Starry Night" by Vincent Van Gogh. And of course, it was an art history course, so we really got into everything Autobi- I mean, autobiography mm-hmm. and, you know, emotions and, you know, technique and uh, everything. And at the end, I asked who had gone to the immersive Vincent Van Gogh shows. And we had some people in the class. And I asked them about their experience because everything about Vincent Van Gogh's work and how it's communicated to you is physical. Yes. And so if you're looking at a light show, basically, that's, you know, being projected even if it's virtual reality, you're not, you can't get the what really is what moves you yeah. when you're standing in front of it. and. The biggest compliment I felt was this one student who said, well, I liked it at the time, but after learning about Starry Night, the section that was the virtual reality, I don't like it anymore. So I thought, yes.
0: Yeah, I do. I think there's something about looking at a painting in person. Or any
1: work of art. I actually am going to sound like real woo-woo now, but I actually feel energy that comes out of
0: Oh, I don't. I don't think that's crazy or whatever. <laughs> no, I think, I think you're right. I think feeling that sense of like, that somebody did this.
1: Yeah. It's somebody almost like residual, time. you know, there's spirit or something, you there's know, energy there. Yeah. There's and, uh, pain. And you can feed off of that, you know, in, in a way. And, and so understand something in a nonverbal way. Yeah. For me, art has always been my sanctuary. So. Um, and I know other people have music, there's lots of, but if you do have a sanctuary, then you understand what I feel. Yeah.
0: Well, me, it's photography. Yeah. For me, it's, you know, going on photo safaris.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: But I also, my daughter, uh. Is a very good artist.
1: Oh, what she's is an she, amazing what's her artist. Medium? What is she she does she uh, do?
0: She does almost anything. She'll she'll do mixed media. Oh. she'll do Coptic pens, She'll oh. do watercolor. She'll do digital. She oh. just likes to draw.
1: She does an- oh. anything. that's wonderful.
0: And we tend to go down, you know, to museums. And that she would like to someday, either work in an art gallery or uh-huh. work in a museum. Uh uh-huh. um, There was. A time where she was thinking about like art conservation
1: oh, that's yeah, that's rough you know um, you need to get you need to have, she
0: thought about like all the yeah you school chemistry like, you oh. have to be a chemist or yeah. other things, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, but i I mean, I have had the opportunity to meet behind the scenes some of the scientists, they're really scientists. it is and it's an amazing field, so yeah. if you really want to do it. I think it would be so rewarding. Yeah, I think yeah. she knew
0: the commitment. Um,
1: yeah, you really have to. But she has have a, a lot. very big
0: appreciation for art. She's oh, a very like visual her. person. Yay. So I don't know where she got the visual, you know, creative part from. I,
1: yeah, you're it, born it, with the it visual.
0: Manifested itself. Mine, man. Like for me, like I was growing up, um, I liked to draw. I just, I liked. I, I knew I had, you know, a sense of composition. Like I couldn't draw shit. I just couldn't. Yeah, And um, from my first communion, my best friend's parents gave me a Brownie Hawkeye camera. Nice. And I'm like, wait, I don't have to draw it. I can take a <laughs> photo of it. And I was, that was it. That was it for That's me. That's wonderful. You know, this was way before I even got in a dark room. Um, but doing that and waiting and seeing photos...
1: My father was an amateur photographer and had a dark room and did color development and black and white and um, he had some really great p- pictures that he took especially good with people and but the, here's the problem warning to anybody who has parents mm-hmm. who are getting older he had a dark room that was just piled up with pictures on un- anything unedited you know, unorganized, and that's what we inherited. And I now I try to roughly organize them. But I have thousands of pictures yeah. I don't know what to do with. But that's I that's going to be me. It's going to
0: be mostly digital. You know, I still yeah, have, I, still have, I still have I still have all my college negatives. I don't have any of my high school stuff. I don't know what happened to them. That's but, so precious. You know, though. starting my career, you know, as a photographer, working for a newspaper, and then coming here and going, I can, exp- you know inspire the next
1: what newspaper
0: I used to work for Frederick News Post I was there oh for 12 years Oh my gosh! Years. you're kidding I worked for the Frederick News Post oh my for 12 gosh years. I remember
1: trying to get a, a permission for a picture yeah. from them and I couldn't figure out who to talk to yeah
0: so yeah <laughs> teaching is my kind of you know second
1: act I love that I never so thought
0: about it I never would have thought I you're an excellent love it teacher. as much as I do yeah you're an because excellent. it's that I'm like I have this passion for yeah. still photography and if I can ingrain that even if you it. don't want to be a photographer yes exactly just go out and take better photos well
1: it's you know it's think liberal about arts college, and right and yeah it's, yeah it's like try things think another way mm-hmm. you don't have to you can be an actuary if you want but you know or an accountant or whatever you want to be but exercise this other part of your brain yeah. and that goes for me too i mean you know I passed physics by uh, one point, <laughs> and then it's a long story. But you know, it was really I was horrible, and um, actually I ended up getting a C. But it, thank God. But the point is, is that I I was hated it so much. I took all my notes in the physics book, and I took it to into our our. Um, I had a six uh, for in my dorm. I was okay. with five other. Uh, women. But anyway, mm-hmm. so we had this shared bathroom. So I put everything in the bathtub, lit it on fire, oh. and then learned a really important physics lesson. Mm-hmm. And that is the fire was, was basically swallowing up all the oxygen and I couldn't breathe. <laughs> so that's where I left it until I met my husband, who's a physicist. And all of a sudden, this world opened up and yeah. it's so interesting but see i didn't, wasn't going to give it a chance yeah and but now you yeah yeah maybe so that, the
0: pressure was off to but also you know, because i think maybe. that
1: you know i tell my uh, advisees to try to keep an open mind it's not like you have to commit to taking you know biology you know in upper level 300 right. courses but just a taste of it can change the way you think
0: oh i definitely think yeah and i have a lot of students who you know, they're taking still photography because they're like, I have to fulfill yes. my credit. Yes. And then by the end, they're like, is there more of this I can do? <laughs> like, why did I wait till my senior year to do yes. this? Yes, yes, exactly. Know? Or even I had um, I had an alumni come in for an interview and he said one of the best classes he took was, uh, I, th- I think it was a, like an introduction to law and ethics or something, Oh. senior year. wonderful. No, yes. It was Teresa's class. Uh, one of the classes that uh, oh, yeah. Teresa, yeah. Uh, Teresa she's Bean, Bean. Uh, know, he said she's... that was one of the most memorable classes I took was this law class. Yeah. And the only reason I took it is because I realized that I needed it for graduation, and it was one know, of the coolest groupies. classes. Oh, she has groupies! Oh, she, she has did, yeah.
1: groupies that like cluster at her door mm-hmm. waiting for her to come back. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know other professors who have groupies, but not like this. So she do is, you
0: have students that like you keep in contact with
1: who I have do. graduated? Yes, and actually, um, two of them came to my retirement okay. party, and you might have seen them. One student, I, I think it was like in the 2000s, not the 2010s, but the 2000s, that she was in my class, and she was so wonderful, and we really bonded. We, Mike and I went to her wedding um you know i I kept track of all the developments her children she's she's just so important to me and um I think I am to her too yeah. so you know it this these can last a lifetime and then the other person um was somebody I had in 2016 and she also, I can't imagine life without her. So, you know, we just keep in touch, and I get so proud when I see what's happening in their lives and that, you uh, know, that they're accomplishing same here. things. Yeah.
0: And they're like having babies, and they're getting new jobs. Babies, and babies, new jobs. You know, starting studios as photographers. So promising, uh, and then the
1: wonderful. promises are being fulfilled, yeah. and, you know, it just makes you so happy to to actually have the people... It's in every walk of life. But it's hard to keep in touch with somebody going through life. I mean, oh, the first yeah. five years, is okay. But then, you know, people drop off. Yeah. So that, those two are very meaningful to me.
0: I get it. Well, congratulations. Thank Happy you. Happy retirement. Thank you. You're going to wake up that one day and go,
1: ah. <sighs> Yay!
0: <laughs> and you're going to like call us like, you know, next fall, like, you know, like, hey, guess oh, what? I don't, I don't have to so. gray. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You won't call okay. us, but you'll be like, that's no, what I'll, it's going to be. You. There's going to be this like little twinge in the back of your neck and they'll be like, I should be doing something right now. No, I'll and call you're gonna you realize, during finals. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll be like, hey, I'm in Paris or I'm in London or San Francisco or whatever. Yeah. Oh, thank uh, you very much, and thank you for everything that you've done uh, for your students. Thank you. Well, thank you for thinking you know, to
1: interview me. It was a total to. surprise. I had to. Well, thank you. All
0: right. Thank you very much. Well, that is the show for this week. Thank you very much to Martha Berry for coming on the show, especially considering that uh, she has about uh, two weeks left in her role here at Hood, I wish her all the best in her retirement. I know that she is going to enjoy it, and I know that next semester when she wakes up and says, you know, there's a bunch of people that are grading right now, that she's not going to miss that at all. But I also know that she's going to miss her students, and a lot of those students will greatly miss her. And now I know that I have an excuse to get down to the Freer Sackler Gallery down at the Smithsonian on a Saturday so I can see one of my favorite people. Thank you all for tuning in. Until the next episode of Get to Know a Blazer, I'm your host, Tim Jacobson. As always, be kind to others and be kind to yourself. lead-in and lead-out music for our show, titled Grandpa, is written and played by none other than John Medallis. Get to Know a Blazer is a production of Hood College Broadcasting Studios.